Good morning, church. Woo! Good to be together. We're going to spend most of our time this morning in Acts 6 and 7. So you may want to go ahead and turn there in your Bible, Acts chapter 6 to start. But really as a springboard to take us to that passage, we're actually going to start a little further down in the New Testament in Colossians chapter number 4. Colossians 4. Now, you may have the dexterity and ability to get to both of those and hold your place in one and so forth. Awesome. That's great. Good for you. All right. You might have a toddler in your lap and you're like, I ain't turning to anywhere because I'm dealing with goldfish and crayons. Okay. So be it. That's fine. All right. If you can only get to one of those passages, go to Acts. Acts chapter number six. Okay. We'll be there in, a, in, in just a little bit. Well, while you're turning there, Church, I want to tell you, I'm trusting that you have not yet forgotten about our GC23 emphasis this year of 2023, right? Uh, hopefully, we've made it really difficult for you to forget about it, <laughs> okay? I mean, we, we keep putting it before you. But because some of you weren't here a few weeks ago when we rolled this out, let me just take a moment to kind of go through some of the highlights. I want to review that for you. So GC23, this is a challenge for our church body to have 23,000 gospel conversations in the year of 2023. And we said it's because every person who is a believer needs to be engaged in gospel conversations because every person needs the gospel. We said that um, the gospel should be part of our conversations every day so that it just becomes everyday language for us, where we're just, the gospel is on our lips. And remember, we're talking about introducing people to Jesus and applying scripture to life. Okay. But, but church, that doesn't mean, I don't want you to get scared about that. That doesn't mean that you have to walk through the whole plan of salvation every time you talk to someone in order for that to qualify as a gospel conversation. Okay. Let me give you some examples. If you're talking to your neighbor and, 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 you know, it comes up, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We go to church, you know, every Sunday, but then I come home and we watch the Cowboys. All right. I'm sorry. Is it too early to say Cowboys? All right. I'm sorry. Okay. Um, we come home and, and then you just talk about football the rest of the time. Well, that's not a gospel conversation. All right. If you just mentioned that you go to church. However, if you turn that and you're like, oh, well, well, yeah, we do. We go to church every Sunday. You know, I've been wondering, have you guys ever been involved in a church before? Like, what do, you, what do you think about Jesus? What do you believe about Jesus anyway? What does he mean to you? You see what I'm saying? You might do it a little smoother than that, but, but that's turning it toward a gospel conversation. Or, or maybe this, this afternoon after church, you ask your kids, hey, what did you learn about in class this morning? And they're like, oh, it was about Noah's Ark. Okay, cool. That's not applying scripture to life, okay? You just ask them what they learned. But if you come back with, oh, okay, I got you. I see. So, hey, you probably then talked about how God made a way to rescue us from the consequences of sin, just like he did for Noah, right? And, and then it leads into gospel conversations where you're applying God's word to life. You see the difference? All right. We're all about gospel conversations here in 2023 at First Church. But church, we need you to report those conversations that you're having, okay? Super important. I don't need a transcript of what you said, okay? I don't need you to substantiate it in any way. We trust you to be people of integrity. You don't have to tell us a story about it, but man, tell us how many of those conversations that you're having. I mean, if you've got kids at home or, or grandkids that maybe uh, you're talking to them about the gospel as they're growing up, or you're talking about how the Word of God applies and how we should obey the Word of God, and this is what it says, and 
Maybe you're reading Bible stories to them at night, you know, before they go to bed. There's a good chance you're having three, six, eight, 12, 15 gospel conversations in any given week just with your kids. Man, tell us about that. Go to the Church Center app or scan that QR code. I mean, like right now, okay? While I'm preaching, just do it, okay? Now, these codes behind me, our, our screens are a little wonky today, so that may not work, but these ones on the sides will. If you'll scan that QR code, it's also in your ministry guide, or you can just go to the Church Center app, click on Gospel Conversations, and all you have to do is say four or seven or 10 or whatever your number is. Tell us how many conversations that you've had. That's it, okay? Now, of course, we're four weeks into the year at this point. So think back, how many of those conversations have you had in the month of January? Go back to when January started in your mind and make sure you report all of those. That's, you're you're going to understand later in the service why that's so important, okay? Now, when I say report, all that involves is picking that number, all right? You can do up to 10 at a time. If you've had 27, awesome. You might have to go in three times, okay? repeatedly because you can only do up to 10 at, at once. But okay, that's the deal. Guys, I believe we're going to hit that goal of 23,000. I don't doubt it at all, but we need each of you to report those conversations that you're having. Not so we can track you, but so we can track our congregation's progress toward 23,000. Do that daily, do it weekly, whatever, but just give us that number. We want to celebrate it with you and we want to celebrate together. And if you're just like, uh-uh, I ain't doing it. I don't do phones. I don't do QR codes. I'm not going to an app, whatever. Okay, pull out that connection card in front of you and write it down for us, okay? I think we can all manage that, right? GC, four, seven, whatever your number is, okay? Everybody good? All right, super important. Okay, now, before we dive into Acts, we're going to look quickly at Colossians chapter number four, and there we're going to find a fantastic passage that really is a guide for gospel conversations. Look at this. Colossians four, verse five says this, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious speech. That sounds like conversations. Seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Okay, now we're going to leave this scripture up on the screen for a few minutes while we just kind of break down these different elements that are here to understand how this applies to gospel conversations. It starts by saying, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Outsiders being those who are outside of the faith, they're not yet saved. They need the gospel still. Um, uh, walk in wisdom toward them. Be wise about recognizing opportunities to uh, introduce people to Jesus. It says make the best use of the time. In other words, don't waste opportunities. But just like that commitment card says, I'm going to seize those opportunities to have gospel conversations. Ephesians calls it redeeming the time. It goes on in verse 6 and says, let your speech always be gracious. That is, in our conversations, we should be speaking with kindness and with grace toward others. Now, we've got to speak the truth. Sometimes that's hard or uncomfortable or even seems condemning, all right? But make sure you speak the truth in love. It's a really important caveat. Speak the truth in love. Remember, it's a guide for gospel conversations. Love has got to be part of it. And then it says uh, there in verse 6, and let your speech also be seasoned with salt. What does that mean? All right? <laughs> That's kind of a weird thing, right? Well, let me tell you, the Greek, it literally means make it savory. Make your conversations savory. 
It means that we need to be excited about the gospel and God's word and make it interesting as we talk about it because we're interested in it. I'm going to be vulnerable with you for a few moments. And um, I think I've told some of you this before, that, like the way that I eat, okay, my palate is shockingly narrow and plain and bland. Shockingly. Think about how bad it could possibly be. It's worse than that. I promise, all right? Stephanie is right. She's nodding along. She is right when she says, I eat like a toddler, okay? I mean, it is shocking. You wouldn't believe it. You don't know my poor wife and what she's dealt with, all right? Let me just give you a couple examples, like hamburgers. The proper way to order a hamburger is meat and bun. Meat and bun, that's it. Nothing else, okay? Like when I go to Whataburger, I say, I need that plain and dry. That's literally what they put on the receipt, plain and dry. That not only describes my personality, but it (laughs) describes the way I like my burgers too, right? Plain and dry. I mean, that's the best way. I love it. All right. I know that there are some restaurants where you order food and they ask you, okay, what spicy level do you want with that? Okay. I know that's a real thing. I've never done it, but I understand that that's the thing. All right. And and it's like one to five. You know, if they ask me that question, I'm going to be like, Negative seven. Like, I mean, how low can you go? I don't want any spice. Church, I am not lying to you when I tell you I cannot recall a single time in my life that I have ever voluntarily reached for the pepper to add that to my food. Ever. Like, I don't do pepper. Like, that's too spicy for me. All right? That's how plain and bland I am. Am I lying, honey? She's she's like, oh, I'm so sorry that the the church knows this, right? All right. So anyway, here's the thing. In spite of that, there are occasions, quite often in fact, where I do reach for the salt. And I add some salt to my food to give it just a little flavor. That's about as far as I go in spicing it up, okay? We use salt to season our food to give it flavor, to make it more enjoyable, right? That's the illustration that Paul is using here in Colossians 4. He says we need to make our conversations, and particularly gospel conversations, add some flavor, man. Make it interesting, Make it enjoyable. One of the first things I ever learned in early days of ministry training, they told me this, don't ever commit the sin of making the gospel boring, right? Our speech, our conversation, it should be seasoned with salt. And then it says here, and know how to answer each person. I think what he's telling us in that is, man, have some social awareness. Like, learn to read the room, Okay? Recognize where people are emotionally, socially, uh, socially and spiritually, and learn then how to navigate the conversation in that setting to steer the conversation toward the gospel. Now, we're going to work throughout this year to help resource you and, and have some training on how to navigate conversations toward the gospel. That's coming, but, but that's the idea here in Colossians 4. So here's this working guide for gospel conversations. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Make the best use of your time. Let your speech always be gracious. Let it be seasoned with salt and know how to answer each person. Okay, now we're going to jump to Acts chapter 6. And there we're going to see in Stephen's life and ministry how he put these very principles into practice. Now, Colossians hadn't even been written yet, but Stephen was living it out. And in his speech, as we'll see, he knew how to answer three different groups of people. We begin in Acts chapter 6, verse 8. It says, And Stephen, full of grace 
and power was doing great wonders and signs among the people. He had this ministry going on among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, it was the synagogue also of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians and of those from Cilicia and Asia, some of them, they rose up and disputed with Stephen, like they were arg- started arguing with him. And, uh, excuse me, I lost my place. Let me pick it back up in verse number um, 10. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking, like they couldn't win an argument with him. Then they secretly instigated men who said, well, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God, which, again, false, false charges that they brought. Okay, so let's stop there. The first group we see Stephen speaking to is the community, the community. Verse number 8, in fact, says that he was doing this ministry among the people. He went to where the people were. He went out to the community. He, he, He went and was having gospel conversations. In fact, it talks here about how he was interacting with those of the synagogue. I think that's really interesting because the synagogue in that time, the synagogue, um, it wasn't only a place where they worshiped and read the Old Testament and, and, and taught the Old Testament. It was also very much like a community center. Like that's where people went to hang out and to socialize. And so Stephen recognized that the synagogue, here's a place where people are, where they go and they hang out, where we can just socialize and weave the gospel into conversations. They were, many of them were already thinking about God's word and spiritual things. Now, Stephen didn't go there to argue. Rather, he was gracious in his speech. Verse 8, in fact, says he was full of grace. He went to the community to have gospel conversations, but some of those folks at the synagogue, well, they didn't like what he was saying. They became argumentative, and yet Stephen remained wise toward those outsiders. He graciously spoke the truth to them. He was knowledgeable and confident and calm and loving, and those of the synagogue, boy, they just could not overcome the logic and the wisdom with which Stephen was talking about the gospel and with the people of the community. You see, he knew how to answer these people, just like Colossians says. Notice here what it tells us. Verse 8 says, he was full of grace. Here's something that we need to learn. You might want to write this down, that graciousness fuels opportunities for gospel conversations. Graciousness fuels opportunities for gospel conversations. I mean, if you're a jerk to people, you're not going to be able to share the gospel with them, okay? No, if you're a jerk, you need to repent and ask the Lord to change your heart, okay? But, but graciousness fuels opportunities for gospel conversations. It says not only he was full of grace, but he was full of power. That's the power of the Holy Spirit of God. The same one that gave all those early believers just this boldness to speak the gospel to people in their community. And let me tell you, he is still empowering believers today to have gospel conversations, Here's what we know about Stephen as he spoke to his community. He was wise toward those outsiders, those who were unsaved. He made good use of the time. He went out to where the people were during the time he had. His speech was gracious. He knew how to answer. He knew how to relate to the people of his community. Oh, but there were those unsavory characters, men of the synagogue who, when they couldn't prove him wrong, well, they just lied and brought false charges against him. 
We pick up in uh, verse number 12 and see how that plays out. Verse 12, and they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon uh, Stephen and they seized him and brought him before the council. That's the Sanhedrin. And they set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place in the law. We have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place, the temple, and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. Again, Scripture said plainly, those were false charges. That's not what he was saying. Verse 15, and gazing at him, all who sat in the council, all these religious leaders of Israel, they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. And church, we don't know what that means, okay? I'm not going to try to tell you because we just don't know. All right? But we're going to move on into chapter number 7 where it says, and here's what happened next. And the high priest said, are these things so? He asked Stephen this question. Are these things so? And Stephen said, pause. Here's where we find Stephen's speech among a second group of people. First, it was a community. Now it's the council. He's before the council. Again, that refers to the Sanhedrin, the esteemed religious leaders of, uh, of Israel, the most powerful Jewish body within Roman-occupied Israel. And now Stephen has an opportunity to speak the gospel before them, the council. In fact, the high priest gave him the floor. He said, Stephen, are these things so? And it's like he handed him the mic and stepped back and said, you go, you got the floor. Here Stephen had this ready-made opportunity to speak the gospel to listening ears. And he wisely seized that opportunity. He didn't seize up in fear. He seized the opportunity. Stephen's speech, now I will tell you, buddy, it's long, all right? Almost as long as your preacher, all right? A long-winded sermon there. In fact, it's the longest sermon or speech that you'll find anywhere in the book of Acts. So no, we're not going to read through it all. I would encourage you to go back and read it on your own later, okay? But for sake of time this morning, let me summarize it for you. He begins with God's call and promise to Abraham. And moving from there, Stephen takes this, this council of Old Testament experts, scholars in the Old Testament. He takes them on this journey through the narrative of the Old Testament, the history of Israel itself. I mean, he, he, he talks about Abraham, Joseph, slavery in Egypt, Moses, the Exodus, the tabernacle, David, Solomon, the temple. He walks through all of this Old Testament history. These guys already knew all that stuff. They were experts in Old Testament history. He has this opportunity to preach the gospel. Why would he go through all that Old Testament history? Here's something really important to take note of. It's because he knew how to answer each person. Think about this. The council members, they weren't bored sitting there listening to Stephen recount their history one more time. This was cherished to them. He knew it was what they loved, that this would get them intensely engaged, even celebrating their history. They might even have slipped an amen by accident every once in a while as he's walking through the history of Israel. It's kind of like you perhaps. Maybe you've been saved like for decades, 
But sometimes when you hear the gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ preached and laid out, it might be the 472nd time that you've heard it. You already know he died for your sins. You already know that he made atonement for you. You already know that by grace, through faith in Jesus, he offers forgiveness and redemption. But something wells up inside you as you hear it yet again. And you get excited about what the Lord has done in your life. And it makes you just want to shout amen and glory to God. Amen. Amen. (laughs) Preachers like it when you do that, by the way. All right. But you see what I'm saying about the council? I don't think they were bored. I think they were hanging on Stephen's every word. They were eating this up. Uh, Stephen's speech was, get this, seasoned with salt. He made it interesting. He made it savory for them. He engaged them with what they most cherished. It was like listening to your favorite story that you've heard Grandpa tell a thousand times, but you ask him, Grandpa, tell us one more time, would you? Or or it's like watching your favorite Christmas movie. It might be in black and white, all right? You know all the words by heart, but you watch it every year, and you love it, right? Stephen made it savory for them. And by the way, that's what we need to do as well. We need to engage people in what they enjoy, make it savory, and weave the gospel into that conversation. You see, Stephen was doing that very thing. And toward the end, especially by the time you get to verse number 51, he has turned the tables on them. He's pointed out, not only here's the history of Israel, but guys, you missed the whole point of the Old Testament and the history of Israel. By the time you get to verse number 51, he tells them that you're, uh, he talks about their rebellion and their sin and how they missed the Messiah. He pointed them to Jesus. In fact, all along the way, as he was going through the Old Testament history, he was using gospel language. In verse number six, he used the word enslaved. In verse 10, rescue, salvation, reconcile, deliver, redeemer, the righteous one. These are gospel words. Stephen was using those even as he laid out the history of Israel. Here's another tip for us. Use gospel language in your conversation to help steer the conversation toward the gospel itself. All right, so the council, what does that mean to us? It's those who gave Stephen the floor. It's a picture of those whom we encounter who are just ready to hear the the gospel. They're asking questions about faith. They're already interested in spiritual things. They're wondering about truth and salvation and life after death. And man, if we would just take courage and broach the subject with them, they'd be wide open to hearing about the gospel. They'd give us the floor. They want to hear about our faith and what we believe. Kind of like one of our teenagers experienced just this week. He was so excited to tell us how one of his friends has been, you know, asking some questions about Christianity, wondering about that. And so this teenager had the opportunity to sit down and talk with his friend about the gospel, to share scripture with him. And man, he was just pumped and excited that he got to have a gospel conversation. I'm telling you, much like Stephen and that teenager, we have to be wise. Make use, good use of the time that we have and the opportunities afforded to us. Be gracious in our speech. And man, make the gospel savory in the way we speak about Jesus to listening ears. We come now to Stephen's speech among a final group. 
And uh, we'll move quickly here. Verse number 54 says this. Now, when they heard these things, okay, Stephen had just finished his speech or got cut off actually uh, with his speech. When the council heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. I want to tell you that enraged the council even more because it hadn't been very long since Jesus had stood before that same group of men and had told them, it won't be long. You're going to see the Son of Man at the right hand of power. He uh, spoke that about himself and this brought all that back. So it says, verse 57, they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. It's like a mob violence now. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. Public execution. And the witnesses, those who had witnessed against Stephen, laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He knew he was about to die. Falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep, which is a euphemism to tell us he died. This final group we see that Stephen spoke to, I call them the contrary. The contrary, because they were contrary to him. In this frenzied, communal, and illegal, by the way, execution, Stephen became the first martyr we know of for his faith in Jesus Christ. This council who had listened so intently as he recounted the history of Israel suddenly became the contrary. They turned against him. You see, as you have gospel conversations, as you're introducing people to Jesus, there will be some who hear the gospel. In fact, many who hear the gospel, they will reject it. They'll stop their ears just like the council did. They may even reject you as they did Stephen. They'll be contrary. But even to those who were contrary, Stephen knew how to answer them. In what he knew to be his final moments with breath on this earth, he continued to walk in wisdom toward those outsiders. His speech continued to be gracious. He made the best use of the short time that he had left. He forgave them even as they were hurling the final stones, the death blows that would claim his life. He said, Lord, do not lay this sin against them. Do not hold this sin against them. Even in his death, he was applying God's word to life. And in this final seized opportunity for gospel conversations, I tell you, it had a monumental impact that we can't even quantify. You may have noticed in verse 58, it said a young man named Saul was standing there and he witnessed it all. Saul, that great persecutor of the church, who would become its greatest missionary and champion of the faith, Saul was one of the contrary that day. In fact, some scholars speculate Saul himself may have been the ringleader who, who, who got those false witnesses together against Stephen in the first place. We don't know that, of course, but it's certainly plausible. What we do know is that this zealous enemy of the church heard Stephen's gracious speech that day. He, he had heard Stephen's gospel conversation as he walked through the history of Israel, connecting the dots of how God was ministering down through the centuries to bring about uh, uh, salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, the Messiah, and the fulfillment of the Old Testament. In fact, 
we see that same logical progression of thought in Paul's later New Testament writings. When we get to chapter 9 of Acts, we're going to see Saul finally come to faith in Jesus. And guys, I am absolutely convinced that it was the testimony and the gospel conversations, it was the gracious words seasoned with salt of Stephen and other faithful believers whom Saul imprisoned as they spoke the gospel graciously to him. I believe that's what laid the groundwork for Saul not only to hear, but to understand and eventually trust the gospel and trust Jesus for salvation that day on the road to Damascus. And of course, Saul, whom we more commonly know as Paul, was, was the one who helped spread the gospel then to Gentile nations so that the gospel eventually reached and transformed Europe. And then it was eventually carried to the Americas in time to people like you and me we who have heard the sweet good news of salvation in Jesus Christ, we can trace that history back, not just to Saul, but to Stephen, a simple follower of Jesus, just like you and me, who walked in wisdom toward those outsiders, who made the best use of the brief time he had, who let his speech always be gracious, seasoned it with salt, he made it savory, and he knew how to answer each person, whether they were just out in the community, or listening intently like the council, or even those who were contrary. Folks, the power of the gospel can transform culture. It can turn the world upside down, just like it did through the all-too-brief ministry of faithful Stephen. If we could get a hold of that, if we could understand the power of gospel conversations, I believe God will do a mighty work of redemption through his people. Let's live just like this says on the screen this morning. Walk in wisdom. Make the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious. Season it with salt and know how to answer each person. In the community, to those who give us the floor with a listening ear like the council and even among those who are contrary. Amen? Amen? God, help us in this. Father, we do pray for your help. We ask that you would call us your people. We ask that you would empower and embolden us as your people to recognize and seize opportunities to speak the gospel, to weave it into conversation. God, we pray that you'll do a mighty work of redemption and transformation through this very congregation of people as we step out into the world and have simple gospel conversations. God, would you use us and would you do a great and mighty work? Not for our praise. Not even so we can celebrate 23,000 conversations. But God, we ask this, that the gospel might spread, that lives would be transformed. And ultimately, that your name would be magnified. We pray in that name today. Amen.